We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A delayed recap of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. Ben Gretsch, you can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, resident Chiefs fan on this podcast. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz and his earlier breakdown of the Super Bowl over at Rotoviz Overtime with Colin Kelly. Sean, we took last week off of the podcast. But we couldn't miss an opportunity to talk about this game. It was, I mean, it's something that um, you and I, when we emailed back and forth last week, both said that we really want to talk to each other about because it, it, I felt like it was a game that was representative of so many of the things we've talked about on the show from a real NFL standpoint. Obviously, this is ostensibly a fantasy football show, and there are a lot of fantasy football things that we can talk about, but we're still in February. We'll have time to talk about that stuff right now. Um, even though we're a little bit delayed from a lot of the other pieces of content out there that have broken down what was an incredible football game. You know, we wanted to take an opportunity to talk through that stuff, but there are just so many elements. I had a a bunch of notes I just shared with you as we were talking through this before the show, um, but that I had written down from, you know, just the the day after the game basically had thought about writing something up for the newsletter, never really got around to it. I've been the, the busy one, Sean. You have still been churning out great pods over at Rotoviz OT. Um, so apologies to the listeners for for us not having anything last week, but there's just so much stuff to talk about in this game. And it was a really fun one. I'm sure in some respects people will feel like this game has been talked about to death and it's time to move on. It's you know almost the combine and free agency, and we can look ahead to 2023. And that's where like the social media and the Twitter timeline, those pages have been turned. Most people move on pretty quickly in today's day and age, but there are so many elements of this football game that we just couldn't miss an opportunity to talk through. Then the Super Bowl was last week, as you mentioned, and in the modern NFL, that makes it feel both like it was yesterday. For me, it feels like it's still happening. It was such an amazing event. And it feels like it was six months ago because so many things have happened since on the NFL calendar and we're racing toward the offseason. But we weren't able to record last week the thing we've wanted to do and the thing that really got us started with Stealing Bananas in the first place was talking about some of these Super Bowls. So we're going to do our show and we hope you guys enjoyed it. It was an incomparable Super Bowl 
And I have no doubt that once we get going, we'll go much longer than we expect. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible game. One of the big storylines coming in, first uh, Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks facing off. And it was incredible to see them both play at such a high level and give us such an incredible game. I mean, for all that black the, the, the black quarterback has had to go through to be where we are in the modern NFL, not being treated as if they can play that position and being told at the combine and, and in scouting, they have to try out for other positions. You think through the history of the NFL, you know, Cordell Stewart's and, and a lot of those types that had to play multiple positions just to get on an NFL roster. And then he got a chance to play some quarterback, um, Steve McNair's and, you know, you go back to Warren Moon had to play at the CFL level and win multiple gray cups right before he got his chance at the NFL. And then he was a, a high end NFL quarterback. There's such a one history of the best there. of his generation. One of no absolutely Hall of Famer. There's so much history there to get to where we are now to have this first opportunity for the you know two black quarterbacks to face off and for them to both play at such a high level and lead incredible offenses was I mean you just love to see that. But yeah, there there were so many elements here. One of the first things we have to mention, obviously, was the prediction. Sean, you nailed the score on the head. We joked on our our preview show about you were you were talking about how it was going to go over and maybe a lot over, and so I went on the show and pulled up the DraftKings odds, and we started joking about the highest alternate over under they had. I'm pretty sure it was sixty four point five points. It's about. Uh, four to one. I think it was about plus 400. I remember saying on the show uh, in a joking way that, you know, that's, that's your lock, right, Sean? We had a nice little laugh about that. Turned out that was way too low. I wish the alternate over-unders went even higher up to 70 or, or 70 plus because the game had 73 total points easily cleared that, you know, the highest available alternate over-under on the, on the one site that I checked really quickly. I had taken KC over at Stealing Lions, and we talked through that, how how I picked the Chiefs and also sided with the over. So we pretty much nailed – I mean, that that's the whole reason we wanted to talk about this even a week later is that we absolutely nailed the game and got everything right. You got the score correct, Sean, 38-35. That's pretty incredible. Well, only because there were some two-point conversions. There's Harrison Bucker missing some field goals. Yeah, it but was you a, knew it was all a that. wild path to uh, – Obviously, in your crystal score. ball, you already saw all that. I mean, you're not tricking any of us. There there were some points in this game, Ben, where the Eagles were well up in the win probability, cresting 75%. They had the ball at the end of the first half with a chance to put a two-touchdown gap up there. Again, just they played a fantastic game. If you don't have... The scoop and score, they probably win easily. But the Chiefs' defense deserves credit for the things that they did. We, you're a fraction from getting a, another foot down from Miles Sanders in the second half to having a second defensive touchdown. And then the Chiefs come back in the second half. And it's interesting to hear Patrick Mahomes say, well, we weren't really tight, but we were tight in the first half. And then we played, you know, like, not exactly nothing to lose, but this is a moment that you want to remember how you played the rest of your life and feel like you did the best you possibly could. It It's difficult psychologically to bring that best performance out in the biggest moments to get to that point where you're both embracing the moment and not overawed by the moment. 
for him to more or less say we struggled with that in the first half, you know, as a full team, and then we perfectly hit it in the second half, which they had to do. The entire team coming out and playing their best possible game in the second half was the only way that they could have won. And that's the only way that you beat this Philadelphia Eagles team. So for a team as good as the Kansas City Chiefs to play a perfect half to win the Super Bowl, I mean, that's what you want to see. And I, one of the things that we unfortunately got was a little bit of an anticlimactic last minute. That's not ideal compared to, say, the Bills-Chiefs finish in the divisional round last year. But, I mean... It's almost asking for even more than is reasonable or is going to happen very often to have the perfect first 58, 59 minutes. It's still a perfect first 58 minutes, right? And this is one of the greatest football games of all time. Right. And I mean, that's like one of the big things that I was kind of bummed to see a lot of the social media responses about the game being so centered on the late defensive holding call. It's absolutely the case that referee decisions were close, were tight. One of the things that I I also, I mean, I'm going to go off on like a tangent on a tangent right now, but I, I, I hate to see the responses that are really one-sided or the other. I, I know one of the sort of more clinical terms for it is black or white thinking. It's very extreme one way or the other and not understanding that there's gray area. And with referee decisions, I think in the NFL, this happens a ton with the catch rule Every single time there's a close borderline reception that's getting reviewed, my Twitter timeline is a bunch of people complaining about, we don't know what the catch rule is. It's the same complaints that have been around for five, 10, eight, like five, eight, 10 years. Like, yeah, we all get it. The catch rule has been a hard thing to define. There are going to be borderline ones. They're going to do the best they can. This is very clearly a gray area play. Yeah, it could go either way. It doesn't mean no one knows what the catch rule is. It means that we know that this is a play that's in the gray area. Like, it could be viewed either way. Some of us are going to disagree with the way that we view it. That's all that we know. We're not. And then it's, oh, the refs were trying to, you know, um, favor one team or it's scripted. It's whatever. I'm not not everyone believes that. But the, the stuff where it's just like, oh, I throw the whole catch rule out. We got to start all the way over because there was a close play. Like your, your answer to this problem is not going to solve anything either. There's going to be close plays is, is sort of. It's just everyone with the catch rule at this point. I'm sorry, this is a huge tangent on tangent, but everyone with the catch rule at this point wants every decision to be the way that they view it. That's all it is. And like, that's what we've gotten to as football fans. Stop it. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, stop worrying about the catch rule. There's going to be stuff that's in the gray area. It drives me absolutely insane. But I will say the Eagles, with a lot of these close plays, do I feel like have a right Eagles fans have a right to be bummed about this game. Like the overall variance of a football game that we talk about all the time when we break down this game, Sean didn't go their way. You talked about the defensive touchdown, massive play. The only bad play Jalen Hurts makes all game. Basically they play an incredibly efficient methodical game for most of the football game, but he has that huge fumble and it goes the other way for a touchdown. That type of play requires some variance, some luck. It requires the ball to bounce to the right guy and the right guy to be free from his block to pick it up and run, you know, pick it up cleanly. A lot of times the defensive lineman won't pick it up cleanly. Then it's not a return for a TD. Who knows what happens if the Chiefs get a drive at that point as opposed to just getting an immediate defensive touchdown because the whole first half their offense wasn't really clicking the way that it was in the second half. Part of that is the Eagles play such an incredible game in the first half of keep away where, I mean, by the end of the third quarter, 
the Chiefs had five possessions, Sean. We, we talk about the, this game of possessions all the time. We'll get into that more. But they had only had five possessions through three quarters of this entire football game. Part of that's because they get the defensive touchdown, which obviously just ends one Eagles drive and starts another Eagles drive. But the broad overarching thing for me with you know the ref decisions, with then, as you mentioned, how the final two minutes ended, and then that was the other thing I was kind of annoyed about from – football fans everywhere, if you will, that there was so much focus on, ah, we didn't get the ending we wanted. And like, yeah, that sucked. We all wanted that. But like football is the sport that it is. There's variance in it. And like I said, I think the Eagles fans have a right to feel like we could have absolutely could have won this game and things didn't go our way. It doesn't mean that anyone was trying to force you to lose it. It doesn't mean there's a cabal, you know, in Vegas that is, um, you know, throwing these games, rigging these games. Like it just means that there were a lot of close plays that didn't necessarily go the Eagles way. Again, that late holding call being the biggest one that gets talked about, but football is a game like this. We know what the rules are. We know what it is. And as fans, like I would just say, like you can't have great end of game finishes without subpar ones. Sometimes stuff like this happens for me. Like that first 58 minutes of the game was incredibly tense throughout. It was an incredibly played game. Every possession, every play felt so massive. The offenses, you felt like they had to get everything out of every chance they got. If you want to lop off the final two, obviously they're the most important final two minutes of the 60-minute game. They're obviously the most important. I understand that. But we can still look at the first 58 minutes and say, look, we have one turnover, and it ends up being a massive play in the game. It's returned for a touchdown. But otherwise, the teams are not just playing sloppy. You have very few penalties that really impact the game until, again, the, the late holding. You have both teams looking in control at different points. You have the Eagles early, really dominating. And into the third quarter, you were talking to me before the show, they had this massive third quarter drive. But then the fact that they had to settle for a field goal there is when it kind of flipped and the Chiefs were in the control late. Every time they touched the ball, you felt like they are going to score. You felt like these two great teams going at it, both playing at an incredibly high level. In the early part of the game, you really did feel like the Chiefs were in a tough spot. And if they didn't get that defensive touchdown in the first half, just to be down 10, they might be out of the game at halftime, right? Because the Eagles did come out better in the first 30 minutes. Second 30 minutes go a different way. Yeah, the final two minutes, not the ending we wanted, not the helmet catch, not all the amazing Super Bowl memories we've had. And yeah, those are the things that as a fan you hope for. And when you watch this great for 58 minutes, you hope to see those final two minutes. But at the same time, like, yeah, that that sucked. That ending sucked in terms of what it could have been as a, as a you know neutral fan. And yet I still can't help but look at this game and be like, it was such an incredibly high level of football for 58 minutes. It was, I mean, I'm going to remember this as one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time, even without getting the finish that a lot of games are, are only focused, you know, are, are elevated because of, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is you go back to the 28-3 Patriots comeback, incredible comeback, but really not a great football game, frankly, that you Patriots didn't play good football for two and a half quarters until they started scoring. Um, they were so out of sorts that they they called, I remember, a double pass at one point on their drive that ended up being their first touchdown. It was a third down, and they're calling a double pass, and it, it left them with a fourth down. They ended up converting and going down and scoring and starting their comeback. It's like you're at a point and on a third down. You, you don't even feel like you can have Tom Brady drop back and throw it. You have Julian Edelman making a pass because things have gone so poorly for your offense. And then from that point forward, the Falcons played terribly the rest of the game, and it wasn't a great football game, but it's remembered as this classic because it, the way that football is scored and the way that things go, and it was so much drama late. Yeah, obviously it's going to be remembered favorably, but 
I mean, I just think football as a sport, like you're not always going to have an elite finish every single time. And the reason that we remember these great finishes is because not every game finishes that way. But yet this is still an incredible game that we got an opportunity to watch. So anyway, those are kind of my high level takeaways. I felt like the Eagles fans had a, uh, you know, a gripe. I felt like the ending did suck. And yet there's so much to unpack in the first 58 minutes, which is really what, you know, we want to focus on the show, but it's still an incredible football game. And I keep going back to the fact that you you think about so many of the games in the last 15 years where the two Super Bowl opponents, the teams facing off in the Super Bowl, they deserve to be there. They're fantastic teams. And yet in the vast majority of the games, neither team, you know, on either side would seem to have been at the level during the Super Bowl that both teams were at in this particular game. Now, part of it is, I mean, they're playing each other, and so if both defenses fail to make the stops, then you say, well, maybe a Rams defense would have shut these offenses down. Maybe a Patriots peak defense would have shut these offenses down. Maybe if they played those teams, the game wouldn't have looked the same. And yet we know that these defenses were actually pretty good, and the defenses made some plays. I guess I look at this game with the way that Jalen Hurts played, with the way that Patrick Mahomes played, and say, I, I don't think that you would have stopped them. I mean, you think back to Patrick Mahomes' first AFC Championship game where they have an overtime loss to the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots were in no way, shape, or form stopping Kansas City at all in that game. So, again, I, I want to give both of these teams credit. And one of the things we've talked about fairly consistently as we have talked reality football this year is that it's so imperative for the Bengals or the Bills to win any chance they possibly get because you're facing this Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes juggernaut maybe for the next decade. And we talked a little bit about how this is almost a free one for the Chiefs because we kind of expect them to be better next season. One of the things I think that this game really reinforced for me is that I actually think that this was much more important for the Chiefs to win than the Eagles because the Eagles have the NFC gapped in a way that the Chiefs do not in the AFC. So I mean, maybe this is something where if you're a Chiefs fan, certainly you wanted the Chiefs to win. I mean, if you're a Patrick Mahomes fan and you're rooting for history kind of separate from being a Chiefs fan, I mean, this was a game he needed because it's going to be much easier for the Eagles to get back. Now, as you put these teams together, you can always blow it. And you talk about, I mean, Jalen Hurts going from being on the contract that he's on now to being on a 45, 50, $55 million a year contract and what that means for team construction. But one of the things that we have witnessed from the Eagles you know, stretching all the way back to the Andy Reid era. And obviously, you know, they win a Super Bowl under Doug Peterson. I mean, this is a team that, yeah, they've made some mistakes at times. And there are certainly people who don't like Chip Kelly, who didn't like how some of that <laughs> portion of time went. But this is a, an elite organization. So this is not a situation where we necessarily would expect them to make obvious mistakes to blow this. The Eagles now maybe not quite to the level where the chiefs are with Mahomes, but I mean, you're looking at an Eagles dynasty because this team is so talented top to bottom. They have two first round picks in next year's draft. I'm, I'm glad the chiefs won because the Eagles are going to win Super Bowls in the future. And well, the big concern there, I think in, in Philadelphia, at least and uh, throughout the NFL and we, Sean, have been talking about this for a couple of years. I know at this time last year, we were talking about our favorite future bets and talking about that rookie QB window. The big concern is, what happens when Jalen Hurts gets extended? Because that does change things. And it is the ways, you know, the salary cap 
has increased, which has allowed for more flexibility to build around, but it's also allowed for QB contracts to continue to really balloon, which in some ways has just created a larger gap between what you have to pay. You know, the big conversation this week is Daniel Jones. He apparently wants 40, $45 million. Well, if you pay a Daniel Jones and we've done this with Kirk cousins and, and other non elite quarterbacks, but still probably good quarterbacks. If you pay them that amount of money, you're not going to get surplus value with the quarterback position there. And that is really the biggest thing that goes into a lot of people have emphasized how the, the rookie quarterback contracts have led to a lot of Super Bowl appearances in the last few years. The ones that haven't been rookie contracts have been elite quarterbacks, still providing surplus value, even on really big contracts. Brady wins it with the Bucks a few years ago. And obviously with the Patriots is notorious for not taking as much money as he maybe deserved throughout the end of his career. But that's a guy who was obviously providing surplus value. And Mahomes, the other one, those are the two big examples. And then a lot of the other examples of teams reaching the Super Bowl in the last decade have been quarterbacks on rookie deals, more or less. But the idea of uh, you know potentially having to pay Jalen Hurts $50 million suddenly and how much of a gap – I mean, it was just a couple of years ago, $30 million was a was a huge number, and that's a huge gap between the rookie contracts. And the Chiefs now look like they're in a fantastic position yes. with Patrick Mahomes. And I Underpaid. Mean, at some point, you do kind of assume that they'll have to renegotiate that. But maybe his overall situation is so good. Maybe he'll be their Tom Brady and will look at like the half a billion dollars and say, in addition to the endorsements and what I'm going to get over the Did next they give 20, him like ownership years, in the I, team? I, I can't remember that specifically. I mean, he's got a good deal. I mean, if they're going to renegotiate it, they're going to have to give him the team shot. Yeah, they're going to have yeah. to give him the entire. Uh, do they have to give him the city? Do it. <laughs> I mean, just the plaza goes to Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure the people in the plaza will be fine with that. The, but no, you, you look at that. I give, I've given the Chiefs a really hard time for some of the bizarre and terrible picks they've made trying to build out their offense around Mahomes early in drafts. And yet at the same time, they've done a fantastic job of actually having some talent around him at the high value positions. You look at, you know, Chris Jones, you look at some of the other things they've done on their defense. You look at, I mean, they're going to be in a situation where they probably have to franchise Orlando Brown again, but they have the people they need on that offensive line. You can do it. The Chiefs have done a pretty good job outside of some of those weird picks. The Eagles, another team, I mean, they're going to do that. And you know, Jalen as you Hurts just mentioned, even enough. once they pay Hertz, it's going to be good value to them. It's going to limit their flexibility compared to what it was. But man, they're just going to be awesome. Yeah, I think a huge element of it is Jalen Hurts is good enough, and he's a, and he's a great fit for. They, they've understood how to utilize his skill set. He's good enough; they can still play, and he can give you surplus value at fifty million. I mean, the reality is when you have a quarterback playing at a top five level in this sport, there's really no price that you you're not talking about surplus value on. I mean, they're just that valuable of of a player to a team. Yeah, I mean, if they were taking up 50% of the cap and you had to build an entire rest of your roster with the other 50%, that player would have a hard time winning. But you probably still go 500 with that roster if you're playing at a top five QB level. It's really hard to be sub 500 if a quarterback truly is that good. I think Hertz has probably already played himself into that discussion of being that good. There will be some questions if, say, their offensive line, that they can't keep that together. Um, or, or keep, you know, as some of these guys get older, Kelsey and you know Lane Johnson and some of their names, if they can't, you know, replace those guys and continue to have really elite offensive line play, that's one of the quick ways that, you know, not having the cap space can break down 
something like what the Eagles have going. But I'm with you. It's a really well-run team. I think they're going to be able to find ways to continue to be successful. We've seen throughout Howie Roseman's career. And really, I mean, that should be one of the big storylines is like they've won multiple ways now, built different winners with different head coaches in different, completely different eras. A Carson Wentz, Nick Foles era, now a Jalen Hurts era. That's a testament to their their understanding of the cap and, and resources and resource allocation and how to build NFL football teams because they've now been to multiple Super Bowls in the last decade that were completely different teams. And it's not like their window closed for a, a half decade. It, it closed and they reopened it. You know, or they went you know a different way. Obviously, they drafted Hurts while Wentz was still on the roster. But this is a team that's going to continue to find answers for sure. Sean, you mentioned the um, – the ways that the Kansas city is built around Mahomes and their offensive line. One of the really big storylines and the big storyline at the parade zero sacks, put it on a t-shirt was that they kept Mahomes upright. Didn't allow him to get hit. But you also mentioned early on in, on the show, the field conditions, which was a huge part of it. And it was a big discussion point. And I just thought it was really interesting in relation to the bills Bengals game earlier in the uh, playoffs where the Bengals were, pretty big underdogs and there was a lot of concern about their offensive line and their offensive line injuries and issues and the snow and the field conditions in Buffalo did seem to mitigate the Bills ability to take advantage of that to a certain degree which I would argue was proven the week later when the Bengals went to Kansas City and we saw the offensive line issues actually crop up a little bit in some key spots Chiefs got some big sacks Um, Bengals were able to avoid that against the Bills probably some degree of, you know, field condition element with that storyline. Something we talked about a little bit. What the heck was the deal with the NFL trying out an entirely new field surface for the Super Bowl and putting this, these teams in a position where field conditions could be what they were. And I mean, was that a low-key big reason why the Eagles pass rush was not allowed to generate or not able to generate the pressure that they needed to that was going to be a huge storyline? Their ability to have, I think it was four players throughout the regular season that had 11-plus sacks. We talked about that pre, pre-game and how, you know, could the Eagles get to Mahomes? Big story. Obviously, that's why they wound up on a T-shirt, that there was no sacks for Mahomes. But, man, was the like the field conditions kind of a low-key element to that that I think is – I don't think it undermines anything of what happened there, but it's it's uh, it's an interesting part of how that game went. It gets back to some of the stuff we talk about during the regular season with with you know snow games and how the offense gets to decide what direction they want to go. Wind can be something that we worry about in fantasy. Snow or something that is impacting footing tends to actually, in some cases, be positive for the offense. Because they know where their routes are going to go. They know where their blocking schemes and their run game is going to go. Defenders have to read and react. And it's harder to, to read and react, you know, than to go a direction you know you want to go when you're in you know, a tough footing situation. Is that part of why the offenses were so good in this game? I, I want to say no. I mean, it, it was a factor. <laughs> you're not expecting the Super Bowl in a dome. Where you can have the roof open, the roof closed. You can have the exact perfect weather conditions that you want you're not expecting them to have to have alternate cleats for that particular game. And that's unfortunate. The facility there in Phoenix is unique in that uh, many listeners may not know just how bad the weather is here in Arizona and the things that have to be done at their different facilities to create a decent playing field. And so my understanding is that this field is actually basically like in a trough 
that is rolled in and out of the stadium. And I don't know exactly how that works. I mean, you're talking about like a hundred yard trough that is, I don't know. I mean, this is a like sci-fi type of field that they have put together in order to have grass there as opposed to some sort of artificial turf. Yeah, I mean, to have a grass field in the Super Bowl that isn't good, that part is unfortunate. I do think that overall it's just really a tribute to the offenses, though. And one of the things that has popped up throughout our evaluations, kind of down the stretch and in the playoffs, and you can look at some of these things in these Sports Info Solutions power tools over on Rotoviz, Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL in terms of turning pressures into sacks. So basically the opposite of that, avoiding sacks when you get pressured. I really thought that the biggest element of this game, and it wasn't going to necessarily decide it because you have Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and they could still potentially win. But the only thing that would give the Chiefs a chance would be if Patrick Mahomes came out and looked more or less 100%. Because if he doesn't look 100% on his ankle, then that Philadelphia pass rush is just going to be too much of a problem. You have to have him being able to move to get to the platform he needs to throw. You need him to be able to move to be able to extend plays. There's a lot of focus in analytics on time to throw, and there's going to be a group of quarterbacks who excel when they're able to keep that time down and they're able to have a perfect pre-snap read, you have the right play call for the defense, the quarterback is able to get the ball out right off of the drop, and the offense then flourishes. You have these quarterbacks sort of on the opposite end of the equation, like a peak Russell Wilson, where they win through extending plays and making the defense defend, 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 and eventually it breaks down and Russell Wilson hits a guy for a 60-yard play that you just don't get from most players. But that's the element of the mobile quarterbacks where you can have that play or then the quarterback can just run with it. Obviously, we know that that's very valuable in fantasy, but that's been the big thing that you and I have talked about all year is that as defenses have evolved to address the modern passing game, that mobile QB and the things that they can do from a reality perspective is maybe even more important for their reality teams than it is for us as fantasy managers. One of the things about Patrick Mahomes is he kind of straddles that line in that when he's able to get the ball out quickly, the Chiefs are utterly dominant. When he's able to extend these passing plays and force the defense to cover for a long time, the Chiefs are utterly dominant. And he needed to be able to do both of those things to beat this Eagles defense. And except for that apparent injury he suffers right before halftime and again i mean at that point this game felt over just completely over because the chiefs are getting stopped and their quarterback has re-injured his ankle looks hurt the eagles are doing whatever they want on offense the game looked over for him to be able to come back and not show too much of a damage from that and to be who he was in the second half yeah, I mean, maybe the, the field comes into play a little bit, but basically what you're seeing is what Mahomes can do, especially within the context of the way Andy Reid has designed this offense, where they have an above-average offensive line. You get the quick plays when you need them. You extend the plays when you need them. You have the zero sacks in this game, but then you also have that 26-yard scramble from Mahomes late, just like in the AFC Championship game. When he needed to run, he did. That was the key play. <sighs> With Mahomes... 
everything seemed larger than life. It seems like he'll never be able to top himself. And yet this is a second Super Bowl where he comes from 10 points down in the second half to win. And it's another yet another game where he does unique things to win that game. I think it's more offensive brilliance than a field issue. And it also kind of goes back to this thing. There's no in no way, shape, or form am I saying that the Eagles are remotely overrated on either side of the ball. And yet we did see a few of the things that Brandon Ayuk alluded to where he said, if Purdy doesn't get hurt, we were going to be exploit these things because the Eagles haven't faced what we can do. And the Eagles haven't faced what the Chiefs can do. And the Chiefs will be able to do those things even against Philadelphia. That's more or less what we saw. We did see some of those things. One of the huge ones, I was giving Andy Reid a really hard time after the AFC Championship with some of his decisions. I thought he managed the the time and the situation stuff really poorly. I thought he did in this game as well. I didn't like the early field goal, even though some of the, the fourth down models for that early field goal liked that kick because it was in that sweet spot where when you're at a really long field goal, the field goal conversion percentage is low and going for it. One of the slight benefits is you're improving your odds of if later in that drive, you have to kick field goal of making your field goal as well as obviously extending the drive for a potential touchdown. When you're in really close, if you convert, you, you, you are really good odds of getting the seven points. A lot of times it's a and goal situation. If you convert, it's a touchdown. You, you're getting the seven points. In between those sweet spots, there's an area where it's like, yeah, converting improves things, but it doesn't actually get you a TD for sure. And the field goal percentage from this spot is already incredibly high. And so that's where they were at. They kicked a field goal that I think a lot of the models had is you know, 85% or higher. Usually Bucker hits the uprights. But I, I didn't like that decision based on – sort of just what we were expecting this game to be, that you're going to need a lot of points. And it was an early decision where even if it was a coin flip by a lot of the models, that the aggressiveness should have won out, not because it's obvious from a modeling perspective or it's the right call, just from a, I think that they needed to be aggressive in this football game perspective, right? But did you feel much like as- it was going to have an emotional factor for the Chiefs to be ahead because – I was watching with, you know, some family. And as soon as the Eagles go down and score that first drive, like the Chiefs aren't even on the field. You know, I I heard some mentions of, oh, I'm going to have to (laughs) adjust my prediction or I'm going to have to adjust, not me, but but just family, adjust what I think is going to happen in this game because it was so eye-opening just how easily the Eagles score. And then one of the things that happened in this that you and I kind of talked about is that the Chiefs then have to go down and score or else you're in that situation that the Bengals put the Bills in where you could be instantly almost out of the game. But then the Chiefs score easily. They get a stop. They have a chance to go up 10-7. And you go from that first drive where it looks like, I mean, (laughs) they could just get run out of the gym to you're suddenly ahead. And I think that, I mean, they obviously wanted to be ahead. Does that factor in you like though? You like the 42-yard field goal because it would have given them a lead, kind of a moral boost. I Well, for me, I was thinking that that's the only silver lining because I'm looking at that and thinking because of the injury and because of the pressure in this game, this is a more missable field goal than the models probably think. And you know, then you get the hindsight if he does miss it. But I mean, I, for me, if you're going to kick a field goal in this game, it needs to be an almost automatic field goal, and it needs to be a very difficult fourth down conversion. Otherwise, yeah. you have to go. You just have to go. Right. It's fourth and three in this spot at the 24. They kick a 42-yarder. 
I, I hear all your points about them wanting to take the lead there. I still think it's like a, a minor – it could be viewed as like a moral positive but also sort of a minor negative in the sense of we only got a field goal. When you feel like everything you just described and your family members seeing it and I saw it, the Eagles being as, as efficient as they were on their first drive, then you, like – okay, you go up 10-7, then they just go down and score again. You're down 14-10 again. You're like, okay, well, we could – I think immediately after the next drive, if they're able to score a touchdown, you're thinking, wow, we, should, we shouldn't we should have taken three there. We, we're going to need touchdowns to beat this offense. So I think you can view that either way. When you see the opposing offense coming out that effectively, that's sort of the argument I would make for why I would go. Is like, we're going to need to keep pace, and we're going to need to show our defense, hey, you don't need to stop them every time. We can We can keep pace offensively. Just get us some spot, you know, some stops and, and be opportunistic when those opportunities come. But we're going to be able to score touchdowns for you. But the other key element here, like you said, they missed the kick. And one of the huge elements of these fourth down decisions that isn't discussed enough, it isn't, you know, obviously baked into the models, but I think was a major storyline in this game because we, we love to talk about the fourth down stuff. The Eagles had then their own fourth down decision late, which was to punt from their own. I want to see it was like 29-yard line. I'm going to pull it up really quick. 32-yard line. They punted on fourth and three. They threw deep on third and three. And one of the things about the Eagles being so good at in-game management is they often make decisions on third and medium, third and short, knowing they're going to go for it on fourth. And you love seeing that. We've talked about that on shows. The, the Eagles are this futuristic football team in terms of understanding – they can make these decisions before the down, before fourth down. They can have decided they're going to go for it as opposed to it seems like throughout the history of the NFL, coaches just sort of willy-nilly deciding in the last minute, oh, uh, uh, maybe I want to go for it or not. The Eagles kind of got in a weird spot here where they for once didn't do that or seemed not to. I wasn't a big fan of the decision. Maybe they're always going to punt, and that's why they went deep. But on third and three, they throw deep to Devonta Smith. It goes incomplete. Fourth and three, they decide to punt. I still would have went for it on fourth and three, but they could have ran on third and three and then maybe had a fourth and one or a fourth and two. They were incredibly effective at QB sneaks throughout this game. This was a huge, huge moment for them to, for the Chiefs to get a stop in this game of possessions we talked about. Because at this point in time, the score is 28 27. The Chiefs have just taken the lead. And you do know that if the Chiefs then score a touchdown, you have a chance to tie with a TD and a two point conversion because you're down one. And that's exactly what ends up happening. And that's the best run out possible for the Eagles from that point forward, assuming that you give up the touchdown, is that then you come back and score TD and get the conversion and turn this punting down by one point into a tie game after each of you has a possession, right? You don't, you didn't need an extra possession. You didn't need to get a stop. You're punting despite being down one, one possession for the Chiefs, one possession for the Eagles, and now you're tied. Perfect, uh, you know, outcome for the Eagles again. Other than the element where they gave up a touchdown, because you could have gotten a stop, you could have gotten a field goal, what have you. But the Eagles, even despite that, even despite their offense then scoring the TD and getting the conversion, they were always a, a possession short the rest of the game. I mean, it really is just those two possessions and then one final possession for the Chiefs. Obviously, the Eagles are hoping that you know the defensive holding thing doesn't happen and they get one more possession after that. But you have to be aware that the Chiefs have the potential at that point to run the game out and have the last possession. That all goes back to their decision to punt. It all goes back to that third down decision. But the big thing about both of these fourth down decisions that is so Im Im notable to me was that the kicking game isn't automatic. So often on these decisions, 
people that are discussing them say you have to take the points. You got to take the field position. Butker misses the kick in the first half for Andy Reid's decision to take the points, the conservative decision. The field goal isn't actually automatic. It all it is obviously a really high likelihood one. And you said, Sean, you know, his injury and some of those things were were reasons to be concerned about that kick. But if you're gonna kick it, like you said, it would have to be one where you're really confident he's gonna make it. Obviously, he doesn't in that spot. On the Eagles one, and I mean you can have blocked kicks, field goals, punts, whatever. The Eagles one, they give up a massive return to get it Kadarius Tony. And I saw a lot of discussion about that and how that sort of negatively influences our view of this decision. Obviously, if you're going to give up a huge return, then you would like to have gone for it on fourth down because who cares if you go on fourth down and don't get it? You would have actually gotten worse field position for the Chiefs than the punt. But that's the whole point. The kicking game is not automatic. You're not guaranteed to flip the field with a punt. And that's what I think too many people think in these situations. Like I said, could have been a block punt, could have been a lot of things. When you're not making the aggressive decision, you are also opening up some negative outcomes in the kicking game, both of those fourth downs. And this was one of the huge central things that I'll take away from the Super Bowl because both of these teams were, you know, are very aggressive. The Chiefs, I don't think are as aggressive on fourth down decisions as they should be, but they are incredibly aggressive in things like pass rate over expected. They've been top of the league for four or five years since Mahomes took over. They do a lot of the modern things that we want a team to do in terms of how you should play football. The, the Eagles, I think are, are the class of the NFL in terms of managing downs and managing these types of in-game decisions. And yet both teams had a fourth down decision where they were a little bit more conservative in a game where otherwise everything was, was rocket ships and fireworks and explosions on offense. And in both cases, the kicking game actually lets them down. And that's a huge part of these fourth down decisions that isn't discussed enough on the talk shows throughout the regular season. When the fourth down decisions go poorly, it's, oh, well, you could have just taken the field goal. Well, the field goals don't always work either. And that's, I think, one of the big takeaways I had from this game that I'm just going to you know remember and, and go back to and probably talk about next season, Sean, when we have some big fourth down controversy in the regular season and all the you know big talking head shows want to say they should have just kicked. Well, the kicking game isn't automatic. And we just saw that in the Super Bowl. And both times, both teams took a conservative approach. The kicking game let them down. It did. And I, I mean, you could even make a slight argument for the Eagles going for it on fourth and six from the Chiefs 15 on the previous drive. That's a 17 play drive in which they only get a field goal. And by getting that field goal, they go up six. Now you're thinking to yourself, okay, going up six is actually one of the worst things to go up by. But at that time of the game, you're going to have the chance to convert the two-point conversion later, which they do. And if things work, go against you, which they did. The Chiefs do then score, take the lead, score again, go up by eight. The Eagles score, get the two-point conversion. One of the things that could have happened there that probably should have happened is the Chiefs could have gone for two and gone up nine, which would have put the Eagles in real trouble. And then your decision to have only been up by six and to go for this field goal, again, it creates a little bit of a potential issue. But it's the Kansas City point. Chiefs, you know, who were at the 15. I mean, the Chiefs from the 15, you're, they're still fine, right? But every little bit that happens in this where they start from the 15 instead of the 25, you know, you put them under a little bit of pressure. Maybe they make a conservative play call. And once they start on the 15 and it helps you actually stop them. I mean, one of the very quiet big plays in this game happened very early, where on a first and 10 on the Eagles' second drive, 
they get called for a very clear but you know not super important offensive pass interference where they're blocking on a screen before the ball gets there and that creates a first and 20 which i mean the eagles can still very much convert the first down on that possession but when they get the first and 20 they do end up getting stopped one of the only times that they're actually stopped in that the was game. their only other punt in the entire game other than their fourth quarter decision we were just discussing we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, and so every little piece like that kind of adds up. I don't know that going ahead 27-21 as opposed to 24-21 is that big of a deal. I mean, obviously it does matter. But if you can go up 31-21, it's absolutely huge. As soon as the Chiefs get the stop, I mean, you feel like the game has then swung massively in Kansas City's favor. So it it just, in a game like this, where both teams can score, both teams have these quarterbacks, and I mean, you're talking about two of the best teams ever. Every decision, even more magnified than, than other Super Bowls, I personally think. I mean, maybe it's just the personal investment where, I mean, this has been my team since I was a little, little kid. But I, just so fascinating what the teams did decide to do. Other, another little tiny thing on that punt drive. The Eagles actually ran the ball with their running backs extremely ineffectively in this game. And that part of it, not necessarily expected. You wouldn't think that the Eagles would have 32 combined carries, including what Hertz did, where he was more or less effective, especially there in the first half. 
and get 115 yards, average 3.6. The Chiefs would run 26, get 158, average 6.1. This was really the first game where Isaiah Pacheco looked like he could be a starting running back in the NFL. But specifically the runners, Gainwell, 7 for 21, Sanders, 7 for 16, Scott, 3 for 8. And so you kind of are thinking back and wondering, well, did they set themselves up to punt by running on this drive as opposed to letting Jalen Hurts be the guy to win in the Super Bowl? But it's not what happened. This was actually a three-pass, three-and-out and the other interesting thing there, too, was that the first two passes were actually complete. And so they had forced the Eagles to throw underneath. Excellent job by the Chiefs defense. Again, you're looking at this game, and the Chiefs' perspective was not that we're going to have to create a bunch of stops. We have to create some key stops, maybe get that defensive touchdown. Again, there's a hugely fluky element to it, but you're just trying to get a few key stops and let your offense make the plays here. Another little just under the radar kind of thing that is kind of cool, maybe more or less irrelevant, but the chiefs have invested a little bit in their linebackers. That's not necessarily one of the high value positions in terms of the way the positions are thought about in the modern NFL, but Willie Gay, Nick Bolton played fantastic games. They were the two guys who led the team in tackles. That's not surprising for linebackers, but Bolton, who is a speedy linebacker gets the touchdown. Willie Gay gets two tackles for loss. One of the things that we, witnessed here in this game was that on these two drives in the second half where number one the Chiefs held them to a field goal and then number two they forced the punt they don't let Hertz get out and scramble on them on those drives I mean to say that the defense has played well in a 38-35 game I mean, you could argue that that's a little bit of a tortured conclusion but they did do some of the specific things that they wanted to do really on both sides that the Eagles played fantastic defense in the first half but those Chiefs big moments there in terms of the touchdown and then on those drives in the second half got to give them a little bit of credit oh I, I think you have to give the defense a lot of credit I actually I, I agree with you it feels a little bit tortured but it is I think a valid response to this game that these I mean Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes what I mean people get mad when you call him the greatest quarterback ever I think he's the I think he's the best quarterback that I've ever seen play the position in terms of what he can do. That's not to, you know, minimize Tom Brady's accomplishments or anything like that. And the other names that would be up there, the Eagles, I mean, Jalen hurts. We talked about this going into the game, how they can stress defenses so many different ways. And then they're so good situationally, as we've been talking about throughout the game, uh, throughout the, the show, that they play football so smart that it is hard to get stops when teams are playing that intelligently, when they understand when it's a four-down situation. They get themselves in the fourth and short, and then they do the QB sneak, which is the play that has the 85% success rate, and they had an even higher success rate in this game on. You talked about the 17-play drive. They convert a third and six on that drive, a third and two, a third and 14, which was the big pass to Dallas Goddard that was uh, challenged in – uh, reviewed they convert a fourth and one on a QB sneak and then they end up kicking the field goal on a fourth and six for the game this is a team that went 11 for 18 on third downs and two for two on their two fourth downs that they went so on of their seven failed third downs of their 18 they then convert two of the fourth downs the other five were their three field goals and their two punts and that's I mean that's the whole game it is a game of possessions. We talked about that. The Eagles wind up with actually two more possessions than the Chiefs. 
They end up with 10. Chiefs have eight. That's in part because of the defensive touchdown. It's also in part because the Eagles managed to get the last possession in the first half. So at halftime, they had run, you know, the extra possession at the ball first, and they get the ball last in the first half. And then at the end of the game, they also had an extra possession that didn't really ultimately matter. It was an eight-second possession. So in a lot of ways, they only had nine possessions. The Chiefs only had eight. The first half, the Chiefs go touchdown, miss field goal, punt, punt. Second half, they go touchdown, 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 field goal, right? That's been talked about a lot. They are incredible for the entire second half. First half for the Eagles was a touchdown, and then that punt that you described with the uh, offensive pass interference, touchdown, the fumble return for a TD, but then touchdown, field goal. They have points on four of six drives. And then in the second half, field goal, punt, touchdown, and basically that's the end of the game, field goal, punt, touchdown. And they have the one-play drive at the end of the game. There wasn't a lot of opportunities elsewhere. I mean, that's why we're talking about the, the Zach Pascal offensive pass interference. That's why we're talking about that punt in the fourth quarter. The Eagles only had three drives other than their last one with that Hail Mary that they didn't score a touchdown on. One was a fumble return for a TD. One was that first quarter punt. And then the, the, the third was that late punt. They still lose this game despite scoring on six of their really nine real possessions. That's how football can be when you're playing really high offensive you know, football on both sides have to maximize possessions and one of the things you said sean in your last thing that just sparked a whole new thought that we haven't even talked about yet or i I haven't even thought about yet was maybe the chiefs should have went for it or went for two when they scored to go up and ultimately kick an extra point to go up eight the eagles come back they score td and then they convert on a jalen hurts rush he rushes for the short touchdown and the two-point conversion i mean i think it's it's exactly right it would and really what the way that I would frame this is when whenever we see fourth down decisions or in-game decisions that are the conservative ones not go the way uh, sort of the analytics community wants and, and wants people to be aggressive, what we hear from coaches and what we hear from people, observers of football, is that, yeah, the models are going to say something, but you have to understand game situation. You have to understand you know, whether your team's been successful against that defense all game, what the weather is like, and how you know it's, there's some gut elements to it. But the gut elements, for some reason, always lean towards old-school football conservative decision-making. We love to see these coaches like Nick Sirianni where the gut elements tend to, even some of the coin flips, hey, we're going to go for it. We're going to be aggressive. Why wouldn't they be aggressive? I love some of the people that have done a great job of um, framing that whole discussion that way in media. I know Mina Kimes over at ESPN has done a really good job of that this last year, framing it as, I mean, why can't the gut decisions be the aggressive ones? We're we're all big macho football players. Why can't we be, yeah, we're going to go score a touchdown. I feel great about this. You know, even if it's against the odds, the model is saying not to go for it. I want to go for it because I want to impose my will. But the, the argument is always we don't take enough consideration into the game situation. I would argue this game, with everything I just read about the, the Eagles' success in short yardage, was a great example of both coaches not being aggressive enough in response to the game situation that we were witnessing. That decision for the Eagles to punt on fourth down came after that 17-play drive and all of those third down and fourth down conversions. That decision for the Eagles to kick the extra point, it would have been bold to go for two to go up nine. But you do that because you're like, the Eagles are probably going to be a pretty high percent chance to score on their two-point conversion. So we want our offense to be the one that is going for two to push it to nine as opposed to taking the extra point and making it eight and letting their offense be the one to go for two to try to tie it. What ends up happening is the Eagles, who had displayed an ability to be very effective in short yardage all all game, they score 
on a two-yard touchdown. They turn around and go for two and do the exact same thing. Jalen Hurts rushed two-point conversion succeeds. He gets all eight points in that little segment. I think you're absolutely right that the Chiefs should have gone for two because of the scenarios of the game. So my point is sometimes these, you know, game situation, oh, we don't know. Yeah, the model can tell you what the model tells you, but the game situation is really something that we, you know, that's the head coach's job to feel out. Well, in this game, the game situation should have pushed the coaches towards more aggressive decisions in those spots. And I love your your decision that the, I mean, every football fan briefly thinks, oh, should they go for two and make it nine? I hadn't really thought of that strongly enough to, to have, you know, still been thinking about it a week later. You bringing it up here really sparked that for me, though, that the Chiefs should have, they absolutely should have because of the fact that the Eagles were such a high percentage team in short yardage all game. And then the Eagles wound up backing that up when they got their chance at their two-point conversion. That's, I mean, this is such a fascinating game, Sean. It really was. But, okay, so here's me criticizing Andy Reid again. And earlier I was talking about how I criticized him in the AFC Championship. I've criticized a lot of his fourth down decisions. I have to give Andy Reid credit for what Andy Reid is so good at. And there was some great breakdowns of the jet motion return plays where they they faked the motion pre-snap. They sent the receiver back to to the side that he was motioning from. We had the Kadarius Tony touchdown. We had the Sky Moore touchdown. Both of them, one catch in the game. They both get a a short touchdown basically on the same play. Does this lead you to believe Sky Moore 10 touchdowns in 2023? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, obviously was the breakout. Good fantasy selection. Yeah, breakout moment for Sky Moore. Absolutely have to have that. I saw a great breakdown from Benjamin Solik over at the ringer. He talked about how the Eagles on film, this maybe was one of the things the the Niners had talked about, but essentially they do a thing called rolling their safeties. The guy who's in man coverage or typically would be in man coverage that was on the motion man, rather than running all the way across the formation with the motion man and potentially being behind the, the safety in that, you know, short yardage package rolls to the far side and beats the motion man. And then the guy who was guarding the motion man before he started his motion rolls back to the middle of the field and replaces that player and picks up the safety role. So they're, you know, they're kind of switching essentially, but it allows them to get somebody out in front of the motion as opposed to being beat across the field as that defender has to navigate through the linebackers on his own team. A lot of times the jet motion stuff, you know, you can get a quick swing pass because the guy who had to follow him all the way across the formation pre-snap didn't get there in time. So the Eagles do this rolling thing to make sure someone gets there in time. The Chiefs saw this on film. The Chiefs also on film had shown all year that motion play, but not the the, the swing back. And I saw this other great point that Andy Reid sort of kept this ace up his sleeve. He keeps it not all year, or I mean, not not for like you know a later game or a key moment. He keeps it all year. He shows this motion with Michael Hardman, with Tony, with all these guys until the Super Bowl. And then he has this ace up his sleeve and he's ready to use this jet motion return play. The, the ability to have a red zone ace up your sleeve to get two easy red zone touchdowns. We talk about how important it is to get seven, not three. We talk about all year how defenses have been playing Ben don't break football, allowing a lot of yardage and, and you to matriculate it down the field. But then we're going to try to get a stop, force you to, to kick a field goal. Red zone scoring is so important to get that seven points, not the three points. The Chiefs get two very easy red zone touchdowns in the second half of this game. And it's all because of scheming. It's all because of um, what Andy Reid has done so well his whole career. It's the stuff we talk about. He's so good coming off a bye. You give him extra time, he finds things like this and his staff and whoever it was. 
the Eagles on both of those plays ran that replace uh, that rolling of the safeties thing, replacing thing. As soon as the motion started, the guy that was on the motion man's running back into a safety position. The safety is going to the far side. And then when that receiver goes back to the side of the field where he came from, no one's there because the chiefs had seen that on film. That's the stuff that Andy Reed. Again, I just wanted to give him his flowers because I've also been criticizing him for his in-game decision-making. There are things that he's better than maybe anyone in the NFL at as a head coach. And, and the head coach is a very complex job. But the, the, those two touchdowns, I mean, it is sort of hard to overstate how big those plays were. And, and, and being able to convert seven on those two drives was absolutely, you know, the difference in the game. Much like for the Eagles, their ability, their trump card on short yardage to, to convert with the sneaks would have been their trump card if they wound up winning. Both of these teams had something that was almost unstoppable in a key moment when they needed it. When you don't have that in football, it's a lot harder. You you, you lose out on a fourth key fourth down, or you have to consider settling for a field goal or go for it in the red zone and not convert any points on a red zone drive. So that was, I mean, good coaching, I think, on both sides. And, and one of the huge storylines of this game as well. And that was part of our preview that potentially the difference between the Eagles and the Chiefs in short yardage would determine the game. For Andy Reid's brilliance to come out on those two plays, I, just again, it's not just Patrick Mahomes. It's this combination of Mahomes and Andy Reid that makes the Chiefs this unbelievable juggernaut. And it also cracks me up a little bit because this is a game where Travis Kelsey, again, has a nice game. But he goes 360-1 and one in the first half where, yeah, I mean, he scores a touchdown, so he does his part of it and is an impact player. But in the second half, I believe he goes 321-0, and zero, not a part of it at all, and yet the Chiefs score absolutely at will. So one of the things I've been saying all season is that teams need to take Travis Kelsey away. In this half, the Chiefs demonstrated what they can do if a defense actually does that. And so – probably more than I have been portraying it. This is still a pick your poison offense. And if you do take Travis Kelsey away, it allows Patrick Mahomes to do so many other things because I mean, you're not going to take Travis Kelsey away without making an effort that leaves other holes. And when the Eagles did that, and, and maybe it's just fluky that it, it turns out that those things happened coincidentally, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes without Travis Kelsey being the driver of the offense in the second half, they score at will. And so that part of it is kind of interesting. The fourth down decisions and the two-point decisions, I think, are also fascinating within the context of what you just explained, where Andy Reid and the specific plays, his brilliance there. Because as a Chiefs fan, and you mentioned how they are not always as aggressive as you might like, you, you kind of wish that they would do a few more of those things on some of these fourth and shorts and not leave it to the fields. One of the interesting parts about the specifics of the sequence is that right before they kick that field goal that they miss in the first half, they have a third and three where the chiefs run one of their worst plays of the game in terms of execution. And so you kind of wonder if that was the play that's supposed to be the short yardage play for that drive for early in the game, what they had scripted out. And once it didn't work, they didn't necessarily want to dig into the bag of tricks to go to something else there. It's also kind of interesting from a, a two-point perspective of if you have some of these touchdown plays, and the touchdown plays are so huge, but the two-point conversion, I mean, you're talking about twice as many points if you get two instead of one there, which, I mean, it sounds silly, but a two-point conversion is worth two-thirds of a field goal, right? I mean, it's 
It's a huge play. How many points do you decide to score? If Andy Reid has some of those plays in his bag of tricks, why do the Chiefs not pull them out on conversions? Because it could really help. And I mean, as you just described it, one of the reasons that the two-point conversions are not thought about correctly, especially in this day and age, is that those extra points get missed. And it's devastating when your kicker is back there and just misses that extra point. I have a question for you on, and again, we didn't get this fantastic finish, but in an alternate universe, let's say instead of being held that Juju gets free and scores the touchdown there, the Chiefs kick an extra point. Jalen Hurts has the ball on that last drive. Does he score the touchdown? And if we're essentially at the final play of the game with the Eagles down one in the Super Bowl, do they go to overtime or do they go for two? Wow. That's a good question. I think they, I, I, I absolutely think Hertz would have moved the ball down the field again. I, the bend don't break thing I was talking about, I think we would have seen. They're so effective and so good at managing those situations. They would have had four downs to move it. I think it would have came down to red zone offense, basically, if they were able to score and time, because sometimes they do have to move a little bit slower. They have to convert with like fourth and one, you know, rushes or short yardage rushes. If they had to do that throughout this drive, and maybe use up their timeouts. They might have gotten down into a red zone situation where they didn't have enough time to really run a ton of plays. It would have been, I think, a fantastic finish, whether they scored or not. The idea of if they scored, and I think probably more likely than not, they would have been able to score and match. If they scored, would they have gone for two is a fascinating one. That would have been, I think probably they do, right? I think they probably do. Now that you say that, they were kind of behind the eight ball in the second half, and they've been so good at short yardage. Maybe we would have got a two-point conversion to decide the Super Bowl, which would have been uh, a pretty fascinating end. And, and the other note I wanted to just add on to what you were saying, you're talking about the importance of two-point conversions. I mean, uh, number one, like, I mean, I think you're totally right. I don't think we talk about that enough. The the ways that I would mention it or talk about it are like, number one, on, on the other plays, the, the touchdowns, I was just talking about how important it is to get seven instead of three really we'll say six instead of three or seven, whatever you want to say when using those plays in, you know, a normal down for second or third down. So it's like a plus four marginal benefit because you're still going to be in field goal range. If you want to kick it, being able to get the ball in the end zone on second and goal from the five, being able to get it in on that play. If you call that play is you is probably worth more like three or four points than seven. So it's not seven versus two when you compare it to the two-point conversion. The other element is on second down, you still have a third down. The, the you know the thing about two-point conversions that doesn't get discussed enough, or I mean it's it's inherent, but I mean it's worth two points and you only get one shot. So if you have that ace in a hole type of play, I I'm right with you. You got to call those on on conversions. I mean those are massive. You otherwise get three tries or potentially four tries. There's no other play where it's like one chance or points other than, I guess, a field goal. And every time we talk about a missed field goal, it's about how big that is. I mean, three points right off the board. But every other red zone play, you usually have another opportunity behind it, right? Until it's fourth and goal at the red zone, in the red zone. That's essentially the closest thing you can simulate a two-point conversion to. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about that before. I don't think we talk about it enough. The two-point conversions are massive plays. We're like, oh, yeah, they're going to go for two here, and we just do it and then go, oh, then I'll go kick off. And it's like – no, this is huge. Two points, one opportunity to get it is kind of a big play at any moment of any game. Um, so, yeah, I just love you emphasizing that. I, I totally agree with that. 
I also like to think as a football fan, obviously it was my nightmare as a Chiefs fan, but that the Eagles would have scored. They would have gone for two. I mean, the Chiefs defense actually played their previous two-point conversion perfectly, and multiple guys are there to stop Hurts, and they still don't do it. When you see that as the Eagles coaching staff, you're probably like, well, I mean, our next play will work better <laughs> if they couldn't stop that one, <laughs> you know. So, and again, there's going to be a lot of randomness on how the, the two-point play goes when you have 22 guys out there on the field the 11 offensive guys have to execute but yeah those are huge plays those are exciting plays jalen hurts again i mean we talk all the time about the physical plays from an athleticism execution perspective that two-point conversion just another example of intensity and toughness and desire because i mean he was walled off he should have been stopped yeah absolutely yeah, that was a, a wild play. I was talking about it like it was a, a sneak. I couldn't really remember the play, but that was the one that was the sweep, and it looked like he had no chance to get in. I remember saying that. I was watching with some friends, and I was like, it's like, wow. And they were like, you know, like somebody looked at me kind of weird, and I was like, I felt like there was no way he was going to get through that. There was a lot of defenders converging, you know, kind of to the near side of the screen there, and uh, very, very uh, – I mean, good play by Hertz and a testament to what he does so well in addition to his passing. But then you talk about, I mean, Hertz played at such a high level. Everyone says he's not that great of a passer. That third down convert long conversion to Dallas Goddard that got reviewed. I actually thought that one probably shouldn't have been a catch. I guess they showed some slow, slow-mo replays where his toe was still down. Um, maybe my opinion changed on that. Again, it's been over a week since we watched this game. I'm mostly going off my notes, but that throw was it behind a, a defender up over top of a defender that was in front of Goddard. There was also one behind it needed to be on time and it needed to be exactly accurate within like, you know, a little box. And it was just such a perfect ball. Goddard almost, I mean, it goes through his hands. He almost messed it up is what it came down to. That's the only reason it got reviewed. He should have caught it cleanly. Shouldn't have been a question. Beautiful, perfect throw on third and long in the Super Bowl. Hertz has that ability too. That that doesn't get it. Well, I mean, the the pass to Quez Watkins was a beautiful pass. The touchdown pass to AJ Brown was one of the best passes you'll ever see because AJ Brown is actually blanketed on that route. It was great coverage by the defender. And this is a a situation where having a Jalen Hurts and having an AJ Brown, the reason you actually want to have star receivers in addition to having the star quarterback, the end of that play where Hertz gives enough air under the ball that AJ Brown can use his size and his ability to have better vision on the ball to break away from the defender who has him covered and to catch it somewhat easily and cleanly. But if that ball was placed in a different spot, that's just knocked away. And that's a huge play. I and mean, it's a long touchdown pass Massive in the Super play. Bowl where I mean you're thinking this is vintage and you know perfect hurts to AJ Brown. That felt like that was going to be the play of the game and then uh, again one of these sort of tiny little stories the chiefs actually wipe aj brown out of the game in the second half part of that is just a total play situation where the eagles only have 12 plays outside of that 17 play drive but i mean he did what he needed to do he makes the big play in the first half the chiefs defense responds in the second half again both sides playing beautifully in this game yeah an incredible super bowl one that will definitely Always remember, it was fun to get a chance to chat with you about it, Sean. We 
hit, talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, but we took last week off. We're not going to be recording as regularly, I think, in the off season. Sean, we're we're kind of going to play it by ear a little bit. We don't really know our plan is sort of what I'm getting at. But when we have new stuff, you guys will will get it on the feed. But yeah, it's fun fun uh, conversation about the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's so uh, great to get a chance to to go over this with you. As you mentioned, it's been a long year. It's been a fun year, even with the Atlanta Falcons. I think 2022 has been a season I'll always look back on and enjoy. We got some notes from people saying that after some of the early episodes last offseason, that they bet Chiefs over Eagles in the Super Bowl and made back and much more all of the money they lost on Kyle Pitts. So that's a, <laughs> a nice way to end the season. I remember those episodes with you. Those were a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll still have a chance to do those. As you mentioned, there'll be uh, basically we don't know. We don't know. And so uh, that part of the off season will be fun. Maybe we'll have some underground stealing bananas episodes. As you mentioned, the best way to get those number one to follow Ben Gretsch, hopefully through the wonderful stealing signals newsletter. He's also, even though I'm not on, I know that he's also one of the best follows on Twitter. Make sure you're with him there at yards per Gretsch. The other way you can keep up with us is to subscribe to the ceiling bananas feed. <laughs> and so when the show comes out, you will get it. But Ben, this is our Super Bowl recap. This is our hiatus announcement show. We're going to rest a little bit and recharge, but we appreciate everybody being with us through 2022. It seems kind of crazy to say that on February 22nd. We're almost two full months through 2023. I know. It's, but that's why we don't know how long months. this hiatus is going to go because we're, we're looking at, <laughs> I mean, the drafts are too much. <laughs> it is. It is. So, yeah, I, I thank you. Thank the listeners. This has been wonderful. Yeah, it's always a blast. And I always love doing it with you as well. And, and thank you too. And thanks to all the listeners. I know um, a lot of them are checked out right now. The, the people still listening at the past the one hour mark on a February podcast are our diehards. And we appreciate all you guys who have, who listen to all the shows, who have great feedback um, throughout the year. Uh, it, it's, it's a blast to do these shows for you guys and, and to do it with you, Sean. Um, I think everyone who listens to the show can, can can feel that as well that we just really enjoy doing this with each other and we'll be back certainly at some point but we're gonna take a little time uh so go watch some some baseball or something <laughs> <laughs> can do some baseball then they tell me the combine is coming but i am gonna pretend that's both the case and i guess not the case i'm excited for it i also could use another extra week <laughs> before right. it happens it's yeah, a 12 month it's... sport and uh we need a little break then is commissioning a lot of Omni Fantasy right now. So there's there's a, there are a lot of sporting events going on out there in the world. Enjoy some of them beyond just football. That'll do it for this episode of Steel Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. We love you guys. Talk to you soon.